from the Subaru of Gwinnett Studio in the Senesta Gwinnett Place Atlanta Hotel. It's time for Senior Salute Radio. Senior Salute Radio is presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. And hello and welcome to Senior Salute Radio, presented by the Estate and Asset Protection Law Firm of Victoria Collier. I'm Mike Salmon, alongside... Victoria Collier and Senior Salute Radio brings timely information to leading age boomers and seniors addressing the issues of aging, caregiving, and maintaining the quality of life. And today, Victoria, we're going to be discussing tax planning through the use of trusts. So first of all, welcome back to Business Radio X. Thank you, Mike. It's great always to be here and to be able to share information with our uh, community. Absolutely. Well, most people don't have taxable assets anymore. So why do we still need tax planning if that's the case? And that's a great question. And before I answer it, let's go ahead and talk about why we don't have a large number of people with taxable estates anymore. Even though I still host seminars, and that's the one thing people tell me they want to protect is their, their assets when they die so that they're not taxed. Well, as the laws have been changing each year, the amount that you can have when you die keeps going up meaning that you can have more and more before the federal government or before the state government will tax you on it now every state is different in that regard but georgia for example which is where we are um it follows the state it follows the federal laws and so under the federal tax laws an individual can pass up to $11,400,000 at death without being taxed on that. And if you're married, you get to double that. So that's like $22 million that you can pass with no taxes. Right. And so that's not the majority of the clients that we see in our office for sure. Um, but yet, people still need to plan for tax planning. Um, but once they hear, I don't have an estate tax issue, they don't think they have to do planning at all, right? And so then we're left with um, people who are leaving money on the table when they die, and their beneficiaries who um, could be living with more, which leads to a better quality of life. And that's really what my mission is in life, is to help people live and die with a higher quality of life. Absolutely. So. That's a very noble mission, by the yeah. way. Thank you. Uh, but using trusts, mm -hmm. how, how does that fit into the equation? Well, how it fits is that when people do regular estate planning, what they are mostly thinking about is death distribution. Who's going to get my stuff, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's part of the question. But what a large amount of even estate planning attorneys don't ask their clients is, how much stuff do you want to leave people and how can we minimize the tax on that and we can't do that with a regular will in most cases okay and so what we have to do is we have to use trust planning to not only minimize taxes but also provide a lot more protection to um, of those assets when they're in the hands of other people because we can manage and control things while we're alive and then we know the decisions we're making. But when I hand that over to you when I die, I can't control how you're going to spend it if I'm just using a will and hand it to you outright, okay? But when I use a trust, 
then I can still control from the grave how you're going to use it, when you're going to use it, and how much of it's going to be taxed. And so there's three different primary trusts that I want to discuss today. Okay. And the each of them has three primary um, benefits to them as well. And so I would like to start off by saying that one trust does not fit all, that different trusts have different purposes and therefore different trusts have different benefits to them. So when someone says, well, I want to trust, we still have to go into the whole conversation about what's the purpose? Why do you want it? Um, these are the reasons why you might want to consider one if someone on their own doesn't know that they want one. Um, and really get into what do you have? What are your goals? Okay. Right. And there's three different kinds. Right. And so the first one that I want to focus on. And when I say there's three different kinds, there's three different kinds we're going to talk about today. Okay. There's a plethora of we, kinds. We wish it was that simple where there were just three, right. but it never is. Right. Which is why we need someone like you to help explain it. Yes. And so today we're going to focus on just on three. Okay. Um, and the first one I want to focus on is a trust that helps protect a home place. Now, often, unless you've got the mega millions, often your home and your retirement funds are your largest assets. Right. And so when people have, you know, saved their whole life and they have no debt, uh, meaning that seniors are very proud of the fact that they've paid everything off, they don't have debt, and they want to pass that on to the next generation. Um, that how do we pass that on in the most tax efficient way? And how do we protect it now while we're alive, okay? And so there's a very particular type of trust we use, which is irrevocable, which in the South, that's pronounced irrevocable. Um, <laughs> and people are afraid of that word, irrevocable. It sounds so permanent. So final, yeah. Exactly. And the beauty of it is that when working with a specialist, who doesn't just use standard templates that don't understand every provision that's in the template, um, but they've been told in a one-hour seminar that, hey, this will protect your asset, that can be dangerous, and it can be final, and it can be permanent. But when using a certified elder law attorney, for example, like myself, then we know how to make the language fit our client. And when we want to protect this house, the first question is, who are we protecting it from? Okay. So many of our clients in the second half of life, they want to protect their house from the government if they go into a nursing home and then apply for Medicaid. Because if we're on Medicaid and we die and then we have a house, then the state says, we helped you along the way while you're alive, but we don't care about your heirs and your loved ones and your family. So we're going to take the value back from your house. So if we can plan early enough, then we actually put that house into a t the right type of trust. And then not only does it protect it from the government taking it, but it also has some huge tax advantages when we use the right kind of trust. And the kind of trust we draft saves the homestead exemption, which means that I am the person who lives there. I am a senior citizen, so I get other discounts. And therefore, my taxes are a lot lower than, for example, if I own a home that I rent out to somebody else. 
And when you put it in the wrong kind of trust, that's exactly what happens is they treat it as a separate owner and now you've got to get renter's insurance, which is more expensive than homeowner's insurance, and your taxes go up. So it's not just that it's in an irrevocable trust. It's in the kind that preserves your homestead, which is a tax. It's also the kind that preserves what's called your 121 capital gains exclusion if that house were going to be sold while you're alive, okay? So when a person owns a house individually and they've lived in it for at least two to five years before they sell it, if they're single, they get to write off up to $250,000 of gain that they've gotten over the years. And if you're married, it's twice that, so it's 500,000 of gain. And when we say, well, I wanna protect my house and give it to my child, and then the child ends up selling it, well, that child has to pay all those gains, okay? Or when we put it in the wrong irrevocable trust, then you lose that exclusion. So we wanna put it in the right kind of trust so we have the flexibility to be able to sell our house if we need to. For example, if I move to an assisted living facility, at some point, you know, the kids say, or the grown up, you know, the adult says, don't sell my house, it's very personal to me. And the kids wanna honor that. But at some point they're like, look, I've got maintenance, I, you know, uh, we have insurance, and now the insurance company knows you're not living there, so they're going to increase the premiums, and it becomes a wasted asset. Um, So sometimes it makes sense to sell it. We want to make sure that we can exclude those capital gains taxes, and when we use the right kind of trust, we can do that. And then the third benefit of that type of trust is that if I do hold on to it until I die in that type of trust, then with the right language in the trust, we can actually get what's called step up in basis at death, which means if I paid $50,000 for the house 50 years ago, and now it's worth $500,000, then when I die, my beneficiaries get it at the date of death value. They sell it the next day. There are no taxes. Whereas, if I put it into the wrong kind of trust, or if I give it right to my children, when they sell it, they don't get that step up in basis. So they would pay taxes perhaps on $450,000, the difference in what was the purchase price. Exactly, exactly. And so, many people do, in fact, understand the benefits of trust, but they use the wrong one that get rid of all of those tax advantages. This first trust you brought up, what is this trust called again? Well, it's an irrevocable trust. What should trust. they ask their attorney for? Right. The um, basics that keep those exclusions is that we have to have an income right to the trust. So some people will call it an income-only trust, um, and that keeps those kinds of uh, tax advantages. However, um, and I don't want to provide legal advice um, to the general public because everybody's situation is different. Mm-hmm. And what I do want to say is that when people who have declining health, when people who believe and are probable to need a higher level of care, if we were to, for example, transfer all their assets to include the home to an income-only trust, which is the most popular type of irrevocable trust out there, when they're not familiar with all the nuances of need, then if they use the standard blanket income only trust, 
then they're going to lose access to those resources. It may protect them from the government. It may also protect their income tax issues I just mentioned. But what if we have a crisis and we need access to the funds in the trust? Well, that's where the creative planning comes in. And that's why it's dangerous to say what is the type of trust I'm talking about. Because if they just went to a lawyer and said, I want an income-only trust so I can protect my house and get all the tax advantages, they're still not going to get the creative drafting that allows access gotcha. to the principal. And there's ways to do that and still protect it from the government. Okay. L- let me go back to something before we go on to the next trust, mm-hmm. Victoria. And this is Senior Salute Radio with Victoria Collier. Um, you mentioned that when you die, the government could come after your house and because, you know, we helped you with Medicare, so we deserve a part of that and so Medicaid, forth. Medicaid. Yes. Medicaid. What what do you say that the person says, well, wait a minute, in my will, it says the house goes to my, my children. I don't even own that house anymore, so how can they touch it? I don't own it anymore. Well, so first of so all, the what will, I say— the will's not enough. Well, yes, the will's not enough because what I first say is, well, the will's not even effective until you die. And so you're alive, and so your children don't own anything until you die. And so— that's great that you have that provision in your will. We're going to have that same mirror provision in your trust. So the trust is actually going to own your house, and then when you die, it will then go to the children. Okay, great. Okay, so that's one option. Mm -hmm. There are two others you want to talk about. Right, and they have different purposes. The next one I want to talk about is called an IRA beneficiary trust. Now, many people have IRAs, and in fact, sometimes, like I said before, it's the largest asset they have. And they name a beneficiary because the IRA has a beneficiary form. And so usually that's the spouse and that's okay. Um, And that's usually fine. Um, But then what about after the spouse? Well, we want it to go to our kids. So then they might put their kids as the contingent beneficiary. And then maybe the grandkids. Nobody thinks that far on a form. They think that far in their head, but not on the form. Um, And the forms always aren't that forward-thinking themselves. Mm -hmm. Now, the reason why an IRA beneficiary trust is preferable over just leaving it outright to a beneficiary is first and foremost, let's talk about the situation where I leave it to my spouse, okay, and I die first. Well, my spouse owns it. My spouse is going to get what's called a stretch out, meaning that it'll pay over the rest of the life of that spouse, which is the way it's intended. And that's good. But what if that spouse gets remarried? Then he or she can name the next beneficiary on that, and it could totally cut out my children or hers. And she may or he may not do that intentionally, but what if she's under the influence of dementia? And somebody else helps her with that form who's not our children, right? Mm-hmm. So we Oh, can that would never happen, Victoria. <laughs> I'd like to think not, yeah. but it happens. Um, and so instead, we could put it into an IRA beneficiary trust where it says to my spouse for the rest of their life, and then when they pass away, whatever's left over, and there will be something left over, is then it goes to my children. This also comes into play with blended families. Um, so where the spouses don't have the same children and I want to make sure my IRA goes to my children that's a way to do it so it keeps control after death it also you know takes care of the one I love which is my spouse but it also takes care of those beyond that and how it takes care of the ones beyond that is instrumental in what people don't think about is that when it stays in trust for the child and grandchildren 
Well, let's talk about what happens when it doesn't stay in trust. It just goes to them. Well, when you're not the spouse, that beneficiary has to take out the IRA within five years of your death, which means that they've got to pay income tax on all of that within that short period of time. So they are losing approximately 35% of the value of that account from the top. That's 35% that they could be using in Mm -hmm. other ways. And so when we leave it in that trust, a very special IRA beneficiary trust, we can actually have that IRA stretch out over their lifetime instead of being paid in five years. So they have a lifetime income stream, which means that they're paying the taxes on it a little bit at a time every year instead of all up front. So that's one advantage. The second advantage is that while it's being held their lifetime, then it's also benefiting from the compounding interest over life, which is continuing to build in the account, which means that there's not just some to leave to the grandkids, but so much more to leave to the grandchildren as well. So when we're talking about, I have a illustration that I do in an actual life seminar where you know um, a man had $250,000 uh, that was in his IRA. When he retired from the age of 70 and a half, until he died at 86, he was able to pull out, it was approximately $281,000. So more than the original pot, but Mm -hmm. he pulled some out. His wife, when he died at 86, was 82 years old. And let's pretend that she lived another three years to 85. She was able to pull out $88,000 from his IRA. And then if we didn't use a stretch out trust for the children and grandchildren, then in this scenario, they split half to the son, which was about 165000 half to the grandson, 165000 So it still sounds pretty good, much more than the two fifty he originally had in right. there. But when we stretch out to the son and the grandson, um, I can't remember how much the grandson – I'm sorry, I can't remember how much the son gets, but the grandson, by stretching out – got um, $1.5 million, and the total amount for everybody down the line was well over $2 million. And that's from compound interest. It is. Wow. And from not losing the the 35% of taxes up front. Wow. So I cannot stress enough, people who have IRAs in the value of over about $250,000 should really consider doing that stretch out option that really helps the generations behind them. This is where an investment in a, an attorney like yourself really pays off, to, to, to know all that information. It does, and when people look at, you know, seeing attorneys, it's, oh, I don't want to go see an attorney because they're expensive. Well, that pays for us time and time and time over. I can't even imagine enough legal services that I could charge to bring that kind of return. Right, absolutely. (laughs) That's amazing stuff. Okay, so we've got two down, one to go. So the last one is a twist off of what's considered um, a standard estate planning process, which is using a revocable living trust. Now, many people are familiar with what's called a living trust or a revocable living trust. But the primary purpose and how it's, for lack of a better word, how it's sold to the market is if you want to avoid probate, put everything in a revocable living trust, okay? So one question is, why do we want to avoid probate, right? Some people do, some people don't. That's not how I want to use this trust. Um, If you want to avoid probate, great, we can do that. 
But what I want to emphasize this trust and how it's so beneficial is for people who is married people. So now I'm talking specific to married. When okay. I talked about the first two types of trust, that's married people or single people. And we do get criticism a lot that there's a lot of planning options for married people and not enough for single. So I do want to highlight that the first two types single people can use. But this last one really is beneficial for married people. Okay. And that's where you have a revocable living trust. You put your assets into it, but it's only really beneficial for people who have investments, non-retirement type of investments. Um, so regular stocks and bonds, mutual funds that they've been holding. They have a what's called a low basis where they bought it at a low value. So let's say they bought a stock at a dollar, okay? And now it's appreciated a lot. And so that would be called capital gains if we cash it out. And so let's say now it's worth $100. And so if I just went and cashed it out, then I'd have to pay taxes and all that difference. Well, there's language we can put into the revocable trust that when I die, there's a step up in basis of 100% of it for my spouse. Whereas if we jointly owned it when I died, there would only be a step up in basis of 50%. 50%. And so now we can use the right language to step up all of it. And then when my spouse dies, it can have a second step up in basis for our kids. And so that's two generations of not having to pay tax on that. Now, how that can be beneficial for the spouse who's surviving is maybe they do want to liquidate some of that and they've not done it because of the tax consequences during life. But now that the first person's died, it makes sense to reallocate and do other things or go buy that yacht, um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, take that trip around the world. That's fine too. But they don't want to pay the taxes on it. So now we've figured out a way that they can live free and not feel you know, bonded by the capital gains. You do realize, Victoria, you're, you're making the, the fact of your spouse dying sound sexy and exciting now. It can be. <laughs> like, I can't do all this when we're still married and he's still alive or she's still alive? No, I don't want to incentivize people to kill their spouses. But, you know... Life and death um, has both pros and cons, right. and one of those is tax planning is one of the, the pros we can do. Well, you work so hard in your life, and you invest so you'll have money so you can enjoy life. That's right. And, and sometimes if circumstances you know, prevent you to do it with your spouse, or they, they have passed on, you, you, still, you still have to live your life. Absolutely, and you shouldn't have to be compromising your lifestyle because of the death of a spouse or because of the illness of a spouse. Um, and that's the third trust always, also, just like the other two that I talked about, continue to maintain control after the first one dies, which means like I'm doing this very plan for a married couple right now. Now they don't have kids, um, but they've got a couple million of highly appreciated assets. And so we definitely want to not have the capital gains of 100% of that when the first spouse dies, not just 50%. And um, because they don't have kids, one of the individuals has family members that they want the assets to go to after the, after the second spouse dies. And so we can create this so that that happens and when the surviving spouse keeps going, doesn't just give it all to the new spouse. Um, now, some people will say, I don't care what they do. You know, I want them to be happy with whomever, and I want them to use all of my assets for that. Mm -hmm. Most people are not in that boat. Right. I don't think so. <laughs> so, yeah. so we want to emphasize, too, the time to be having these types of discussions with your attorney 
are not after your spouse has died. You want when is the best time to have these discussions? So the best time is a you have to be competent to be able to sign these documents and do this. Um, but secondarily, I would say the sweet spot is between the age of 55 and 75 because that's when you've accumulated. That's when you're really starting to think about mortality because you've gone through it with your parents. Yeah. Your children are on their own. Some of them have greater needs than others. And so you're starting to think about, if I'm not here, how is that going to play out with my resources? Um, so I would say at retirement or near retirement, but certainly by the age of 75. Okay. I was thinking you're going to say a lot younger than that. And if they do, that's even better. Absolutely. Yeah. I did meet with a couple clients um, about a month ago that they're in their 30s and they're already millionaires and they're having their first baby. It's because they're um, having these conversations <laughs> in their 30s. Exactly. That's why they're millionaires. Exactly. They're smart. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, for those that would like to have the conversation with you, what's the best way to reach you? So we have a website, which is elderlawgeorgia.com. But also the best way to reach us is with our phone number, which is 470-235-7848. So that's 470-235-7848. People still phone others, don't they? They do. And we like it when our phone rings because then we can really assess, can we help you or should we refer you to someone else who can be of better assistance than we can? A lot of great information, Victoria. What's the final thing you want people to come away from watching this or listening to this? So what should they, the one thing, the one takeaway they should remember? I would say the one takeaway is we all want a simple life. Um, And we want to not complicate things. But that can lead us to accepting basic information. And basic information can be harmful Um, and be open-minded as to what options are out there because it actually can save you a lot of money. And there are some things that you think you can do on your own, maybe through the Internet, but but you don't want to be crazy or stupid when it comes to your money and your assets and your legacy and and what you leave for your, your family. Right, and not knowing has no reflection on how smart you are, what a great business person you've been, what a great manager of your household you've been. It's all knowing that it's a whole different specialty. And as I mentioned before, the mass majority of lawyers who do estate planning still don't get this detail with their clients because it's too easy to fall into, let's just get the basics taken care of. Well, if you're out there and you were listening and you were a little confused about any of this, all the more reason to reach out to uh, Victoria Collier. And again, the phone number is 470-235-7848. Want to thank everybody for listening. You've been listening to Senior Salute Radio. It's a bi-monthly show bringing timely information for leading age boomers. And it's available 24-7 online by going to Senior Salute, uh, I'm sorry, go to businessradiox.com, select the Gwinnett Studio, and then click on Senior Salute. Thank you so much, Mike. Thank you.